Hello San Pedro podcast episode 92. Hey, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jess. And this is the Hello San Pedro podcast. Join us as we talk with locals, community leaders, business owners, and people like us who love all things San Pedro. Every week, we'll explore San Pedro's deeply rooted culture, discuss local issues, and spread good vibes. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hello San Pedro podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda Silva. Today on the show, we have an amazing guest who is doing awesome things in this community. Um, it's truly incredible what he's been able to do, and I know he would never credit himself with all of that, um, but he's created an awesome organization that is doing very good work here. And um, I have to say, this interview was super enlightening, opened our eyes, and also I think um, each of us got emotional at one point or the other. Um, we'll go ahead and let him introduce himself, and uh, we hope you enjoy this this episode as much as we enjoyed um, this conversation. So, enjoy. Uh, my name's Kevin Walner, and I'm the founder and executive director for the Restoration Project. Nice. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. Thank you so We're much. so excited to have you. Um, I remember coming across your account on Instagram and through Miller Butler, actually, Jelana and Ahmed. Ahmad and um, and I joined and like for once and I was like this is incredible like the right afterwards like walking away with my husband like we were talking about it and I was telling Amanda about it like she and so then we kind of were like oh this will be cool like at one point we'd love to like learn more and you know especially like help spread the word about what you guys are doing because this is awesome and it's like such a big thing. So before I get ahead of myself, well, <laughs> let's get started with some background questions. For sure. Yes. I just want to say that when she showed me your Instagram, I also was like so impressed. I was so happy to see like so much service, you know? Um, and yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, but again, we'll start, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, first, where, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Where did yeah. you grow up? I grew up in Washington state. So I grew up, if I say Seattle, it makes the most sense. But if mm -hmm. I say Bothell, you won't know where that is. So <laughs> we're just going to say Seattle. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised there until I was 28. And then I moved to California. Very nice. What brought you to California? Uh, personal training. So I started out as a personal trainer. Um, and so I had an opportunity to come here uh, on vacation. And my boss was like, hey, you seem burnt out. The rain's getting to you which it definitely was um and so i came here and within two weeks i was given a job oh so, cool yeah i was down playing uh, beach volleyball and i met somebody that i was playing beach volleyball against and he just happened to be a trainer at equinox and he was like hey man i'll get you a job and i was like bro uh, i'm good i'm on vacation and so i was like well why not let's just go and see what it's about and within the four days i was here i had three interviews and then a week later, I got a call and said, hey, pack your stuff. Just find a place to live and we got a job for you. So, so your your introduction to um, moving here it was a job with Equinox mm -hmm. as a personal trainer. Yeah. Which location? Uh, I was in Santa Monica. 
Yeah, that's a good location. That's a, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was it was an opportunity to meet a lot of people. I met a lot of, you know, quote-unquote celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also saw, like, a need for, you know, doing more than just training. Yeah. And so I actually was able to start my own business as a personal trainer with it after my first year. That's amazing. So that's where service really started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that first business? Like, what? So the backyard was my personal training company okay and so a client actually said hey um i want to show you something at my office i didn't know what he did but i was training him privately on the beach because uh i wasn't making what i thought i'd be making um and to live in california as you know it's it's a lot um and so i went out to his uh, office and in the backyard of his office um, he showed me a little space that ended up being my studio and i said hey man this is great but I've got 16 clients and I don't know what to do with them. And he just said, actually, this is yours. I believe in what you're doing. So you can have it. Just train me and we'll call it good. So it was like 250 square feet, maybe as big as this place, maybe a little tiny bit bigger. Um, But for years, I trained people out of there. That's incredible. yeah, Yeah. And then it just kept growing. And then I moved to Venice and had a studio there. And then I ended up in Torrance. Oh, cool. And then that's where I landed. And then recently just quit all of that to... Do something different. Oh my goodness! So that Which was we'll your too. Yeah. So that was your like intro. So you got a job doing training, but then mm-hmm. you started your own business, and then that launched, and then brought you further south in Southern California, yep. yeah. so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Now you mentioned your wife. Were you married at the time? Uh, no. Okay. So this yeah. was like still single. You. It was much easier to just pick up and yep. and move to California. Yeah. Uh, what was it like going from Washington to California? That was. You know, it was a lot yeah. because uh, L.A. is a lot different than Seattle. You know, for me, it just felt like a sense of entitlement when I came out here, mm. to be honest. You yeah. know, it wasn't like, what can I do for you? But what can I get from you? Mm. And so for me personally, it was really hard because I had to sell myself regularly every day. It wasn't like, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm a person. It was Kevin. I'm a trainer. Mm. Let me tell you why you should train with me. And it was like a sales pitch. And honestly, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to continually to prove yourself to people, it gets really exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you navigate the best you can. And, you know, I feel like I was blessed to meet really good people to steer me out of a lot of what you could get involved with. Mm-hmm. So, And it sounds like um, for me right away, I just feel like there's confirmation when somebody is like, mm-hmm. I believe in what you're doing. And let me provide a space for you to do it. You know, that just for me is like a sign, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. I'm on yeah. the right path, yeah. right? Totally. Absolutely. Um, I, you mentioned the weather was weighing you down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How did you enjoy California weather after that? Uh, I mean, as soon as I got here, I was like, wow, this place exists. Okay. You know, yeah. so especially like Santa Monica, <laughs> right? Like I've never been to Santa Monica. So when they told me about Santa Monica, I was like, well, I've been to Redding, California, which isn't <laughs> I really, know where that's it's from. not hopping, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not like, it's not the place to go. Yeah. Um, so when I first came to Santa Monica, I was like, man, the beaches, the sun, this is awesome. This is where I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt really glad to come here. So you actually felt like a mood change. Oh, 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah. My friend used to live in Portland, and she she's like a Wyoming country girl. 
um, sunshine, mm-hmm. you know, that beautiful blue sky. <laughs> and she would call me all the time, just like, I'm so sad for some reason. Yes. Yeah. It's de- I mean, after a while, it's depressing. Oh, yeah. Right? I don't think I could. Seasons. I don't like seasons. I like warm, warm, oh, and that's warm. So funny. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Perfect. So, but when we get rain, it's nice. It reminds yeah. me of home. That's what I mean. It's like, it's refreshing when we get rain. Right. It's there too. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. all do- it does here. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> um, and so tell me a little bit about how you met your wife, if you don't mm, mind me asking that question. Yeah, we want to get into your personal business. Yeah, and we love a love story. <laughs> yes. Amanda well, loves, yeah. You're going to love this one then. Uh, so I was waiting for back surgery. Uh, I had three months before back surgery. And I thought, what, what better thing to do than to go online and talk to girls? Back surgery, though, if we could back up uh, for a minute. Why did you need back surgery? Uh, just being, you know, in 2020, 20, uh, 2002, uh, I got into a really bad car accident. And I should have, this should have taken my life. It oh. didn't. Um, so I thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big, pivotal moment where um, I decided to go back to church for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, you know, in the faith. Uh, a mom that is just amazing, but it was a lot of like, you're going until you're 18. And so at 18, I said, I'm done. And then in 2020, uh, 2002, uh, after the car accident, my oldest brother reached out and said, Hey, do you want to go to church with me? And I was like, yeah, I want to go. Cause I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And then just being an athlete and, you know, doing stuff a hundred percent. Um, even though I wasn't going pro, but I felt like I could. I never would. You had pro energy. <laughs> pro, pro in what? Pro intramural sports. Um, <laughs> you know, so men's softball league, you know, the one that's always diving, sliding, just being crazy. And so over time, my back just got worse and worse. And so uh, one day at the gym, I was doing a bodyweight deadlift. And as I came up, it felt like knives down my hip to my feet. And uh, I got home and I got out and put some clothes on and as I walked out into my living room I collapsed oh my goodness and realized that I had um, disc issues that were cutting off my nerve wow so that put me on the couch for three months and I thought hey let's start let's get on tinder yeah no not tinder (laughs) tinder wasn't there yet Oh, really? Yeah, this I'm is older before. than you think. Okay, so this is like early Instagram this is days? This Cupid. Oh, oh gosh. I love that. Okay, <laughs> We're so going the, way back. So the reason we did Okay Cupid is because I'm not trying to pay somebody to send messages to someone. So no eHarmony. So, yeah. No. This is, this is how Okay Cupid got its rep. Yeah. So I was, I was online and I saw her and the first thing she led with is, you know, God's number one in my life. And I was like, man, God, you're beautiful. Like, I need to, you know, message you. So my screen name, and if I don't say this, my wife will be really upset. So my screen name was like, uh, fitness is my life 81, mm-hmm. right? And so my goal was to push people away who maybe fitness wasn't their life. Right. And so it'd make it a little easier. Except my wife was like, couch is my life. <laughs> so I sent her a message and it wasn't like your typical guy message like, hey girl, what are you doing? It was, hey, I think you're beautiful. I love that you love the Lord. And I went on and on and on and on. And her response was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a good fit. You seem nice, but. Is, it's because you have your username? Yeah. A hundred percent. I would never, <laughs> I would never, ever be like, I, I'm sorry, no. 
That's true. I feel like that's like a niche. Yeah. Or not niche, but yeah. So, you know, she responded and she, at the end of her message was like, hey, if you can prove otherwise, I just don't think we're going to be a good fit. Yeah. So I was like, all right, here we go. A challenge. (laughs) So I started with it. Like if I was at a court and I was like, your honor, let me explain why you think you didn't, you know, we wouldn't be a good fit. So things like you hear fitness is my life. You're thinking meathead. You're thinking all I do is eat, sleep, and breathe You're going to judge me for everything I do. Right. And I said, no, I just want somebody who will be active with me. Yeah. I want somebody who enjoys the active lifestyle. I don't want another me. I don't want to date me. That's no way. Like, I don't know. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I sent her a page and she responded with, okay. <laughs> so we talked for three days. And then on the third day, she actually came over. We had an eight-hour first date. I couldn't even open the door for her because I couldn't get up off the couch. So we couch dated. Yeah. So imagine your first interaction with a guy is door didn't get open. He's laid out on the couch. Not super presentable. I think I was able to shower like the night before. Mm -hmm. Um, And just... Hey, could you get me this? Could you get me this? Could you get me this? I'd like to talk to her. <laughs> I would like we to get her in there. here yeah. for a follow-up episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's crazy, right? So, like, she took a chance on me. That's and, incredible. And I just kept reminding her, I'm like, when I'm better, like, I'll prove to you. But you know you what? Know. I have to say, you did make the effort. You did convince her otherwise. Yeah. And, and I that's, her, that's I, not nothing. And yeah. I let her know. I was like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm on crutches. I can barely walk. I can't cook for myself. Um, I have friends that come over and, and make food for me. And yeah. so I think what she saw was the way that others came and served mm-hmm. and the way that my friends were there. And for, their, for her, that really gave her a piece. Like, wow, this guy's... You had a support that, system. Yeah. That yeah. speaks also, right? Like the friends, the the circles that surround you. Like that yeah. speaks to because who you are. friends don't do that unless you're a friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it's like a reciprocal thing. And it was, I mean, as a guy, it's hard to like say I need help. Um, and so being somebody of service and always helping others is it was a reminder like it's okay to get help because mm-hmm. you're loving people, you're serving people, you're giving. And so it's okay for others to, to say, hey, I see that and I want to, you know, I want to reciprocate. Mm. Um, and so my encouragement is really when people are offering that help, um, instead of saying no, just say yes, even if you don't feel comfortable. Because there's a level of which somebody's choosing to do that. They're not having to do it, right? They're saying, I get the opportunity to bless you. So... I want to. So when we say no, we're actually taking that blessing away. That's true. That's true. That's resonating so much with me because I very much am someone, it's like, oh no, you don't have to go out of your way or no, I'm okay. I've got this. But it's true. Like I don't see it from that perspective where it's like they're offering, don't shy away from that. Like even if you need it or not. It feels good for that person to be of service. Yeah. 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 It's like um, its own blessing, if you will. Also, speaking about the date, though, I think mm-hmm. there's like an aspect of vulnerability too. Like the, I mean, talk about it. Were you, this is after surgery or before uh, surgery? No, I was still waiting for surgery. Okay, and like you're couch bedridden, yep. couch I'm ridden, just, I'm couch ridden, and, <laughs> and here um, you are, like going on your first date with someone and yeah. being very like, this is where I'm at right now. You're like, well, I'm glued to the couch. Might as well meet my soulmate. <laughs> yeah, it, I it, love it. And what was interesting, right, is. Uh, the night before I unlocked the door because I knew I wouldn't be able to get back up 
Um, and when she knocked on the door, I was like, come in. You know, I couldn't like, you know, as a guy, you want to put on your best foot for it. I didn't get to do that. Yeah. Um, she brought over uh, a card. She brought over a movie. She brought over a Mad Libs. Like she just, she just got me. And so after our eight hour first date, we, I mean, within six months, we were engaged and six months later we got married. Oh my gosh. I really love this story. I do. I would like to talk to her. Yeah. That's incredible. From her perspective, it'll be good. It'll be hilarious. Being like, "Uh, I'm meeting this dude. I don't know. He's on the couch. (laughs) She even even said like, I left a note for my sister. Hey, if I'm not back by a certain time, (laughs) you know. I'm going so, to his house. Right. Yeah. I right. got invited to the house where it's like, we're not meeting in public. She's gone for eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. She did all that's the things true. you normally don't do. Right. Yeah. But yeah. that's because I think you really put yourself out there. Like, you know, you, you rose up to the challenge. Um, okay. So she was already living here in California. Yep. And I imagine she was she was there for you after, like after sur- surgery. Of course, she sounds like such a sweetheart. It. She's a doll. Incredible. Yeah. Um, you were engaged within six months. Mm-hmm. You got married. Six months later. Six months later. So within a year, you were fully married. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was all. Was that taking place all in Santa Monica? Were you living in no, Santa Monica at the so time? So that was. I was in Westchester, and she was in Long Beach. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And even before our engagement, we went on a missions trip together. We had family loss together. So we, like, we fast-tracked a lot of stuff that most people don't even experience. Mm -hmm. All within a year. Yeah. yeah. I think mission trips, um, yeah, I think if I, I think a mission trip would do it because you really have to come as you are Mm -hmm. and you're very vulnerable and you really get to see, like, the best of the person and maybe the worst, too, you know, like, where it's grueling and it's hard or whatever, you know? There's there's a lot of things that you can do with a spouse, but I think serving together is one of the most, like, romantic things that you can do. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting low-key <laughs> This is true. Because you're seeing a side of them that is like open-hearted mm-hmm. you know in essence you have to be open-hearted in acts of service would yeah. you advise couples who are having a hard time to go serve together 100 percent. wow 100 percent. yeah when you're when you get to see the heartbeat of someone else yeah you know and maybe it's maybe that serving is what reignites something in you or you see from a distance like wow the way that you love mm. Low-key emotional? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, it's okay. What we are getting at, though, is how did you make the journey to Pedro? <laughs> yeah. So Pedro, um, we actually, we, we came and looked at different places before. before. So we started, we decided Torrance was a middle ground when we first got married. Because yeah. she was in Seal Beach. I was in Westchester. So you would meet up in Torrance? So that's where we ended up living. Oh. So we started in Torrance and they were like, um, and then I went through, which also connects with why the restoration project exists. I went through really bad depression, anxiety, and I was, uh, I had suicidal ideologies for a while, um, panic attacks. And so where we lived, the noise was so bad we had to move. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Lamita thinking that would help, but it actually continued the depression continued. Mm-hmm. So um, after that, um, there's a happy ending because I was healed from all that. 
Um, but then we're like, hey, let's go back to where we first started looking because they were going to raise our rent no matter what. And so we're like, if you're going to raise it, let's go see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the culture of San Pedro. We love that there's so many different um, you know, culture groups and the food is amazing mm-hmm. and you have your own beach and the hiking trails and it's just the dog parks. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a hidden paradise, mm-hmm. right? And I think anywhere you go, people are going to say negative things. Um, but you can decide to agree or you can decide to find the things that make it such a, like a beautiful, joyful place. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to find a place and we love it. And, you know, I actually now get to work here too. So it's kind of, you know, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. We're going to get into how you're working here now too. <laughs> um, one thing I, I would love to talk a little bit about is like this undercurrent in your whole journey um, is your faith. Mm-hmm. And so you came, you grew up going to church mm-hmm. and then um, came back to church on mm-hmm. your own terms, in mm-hmm. your own way. What has that journey since you came back come through? Like, I mean, it's kind of been a thread in your whole life, and 100%. as it usually is. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, um, you know, I've gone through some fires, and I think the only way you can get through fire is realizing that there's somebody else with you. And if you really believe in your faith and you know that there's nothing that God's not going to give you that he's not going to pull you through. And I think when we go through the fire, it's actually preparation for what's next. And so my anxiety, the depression and all that was just preparation for now what I get to do. And, you know, and it took more than I would like. Right. So I think our biggest frustration is, well, if you say there's God, why didn't you let that happen? Why are you keeping me in it this long? And I think, now mind you, when I was going through, I wasn't praising Jesus, let me tell you. I was cursing. I was like, why would you do this? If you say I'm your son and you love me, why would you put me through this? On the other side of that, now that I have my joy back, I can I can appreciate it, right? Mm-hmm. It was really hard. But to, to have joy again, to know my purpose, to know that my worth, my value, I don't want anyone not to experience joy. Mm-hmm. So I remind people, like, we get a free gift of bringing joy to people. Let's do it more. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I've always known, you know, there's, there's a plan and a purpose for my life, but it's been so much more clear after I went through the trials, after I went through the hard. And I think sometimes people don't value things unless it gets really hard. Mm -hmm. Right. So we live in this place of almost like, yeah, everything's fine and everything's good. And I'm doing all these things. And it's like, it's not about what we're doing. It's what's already been done. Right. Right. And so when uh, and if you believe and I'm not saying you have to but for me personally I know that God came to serve he didn't ask us to serve him right mm-hmm. so if we truly believe what it says then for us like our main three things that we always strive for is loving serving and giving mm-hmm. first one love right that's where it all starts mm-hmm. so my faith is so important that I know it's gotten me through some really, really hard times, but also community is so important. And that's one of the other things that ties back into TRP, Mm -hmm. um, is this this beautiful sense of how 
a community that people don't normally give a chance to were actually the ones that really helped me when I was going through a hard time. That's incredible. So much of what you're saying resonates um, so deeply, and I think with both of us too, because I mean, uh, we both have gone through depression and are struggling with it, you know, because it doesn't... It's a continuous struggle that, you know, shows up. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, and... um, and I think what you're saying resonates with a lot of people about this sense of like purposeless, like trying to figure out, you know, what is your sense of purpose or what is your joy? I mean, when you right. said that, that's like, yeah, knee deep. That's what I'm <laughs> searching for is getting back to that joy, you know? Yeah. And there's some, we had a guest, Brandon Evans, come and speak. Um, and he works with um, people in recovery. And he was talking about how. Um, when we were talking about mental health, he was saying, like, honestly, my recommendation is to get out of your own problems, like go and give, like go and serve, go and do something, because through that, you'll kind of be lifted out of your own mm-hmm. head out of in a way, you know, do out you of your that? own heaviness, out of your own like, you know, when you are when you're in those moments, all you can really see is your own trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you're put outside of yourself and you see the trouble of other people and their struggles you're all of a sudden you're like your 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 challenges are put into perspective you know not that they're minimized but just that you have an opportunity to rise up to something that you maybe didn't have the opportunity to or make yourself vulnerable to like give I think that's the biggest like I remember that was my takeaway which is actually kind of the reason why I then reached out Mm -hmm. to you and I said hey I would love to join in on one was that that was the push and um, I think being vulnerable and open-hearted to just like be present and meet people and like mm-hmm. on a one-on-one basis that you strip away all these other things is something that like I walked away feeling like oh my goodness like on a high on life you know situation <laughs> yeah. and to your point about being there with my spouse like seeing my spouse in another light like we this isn't something that we often do or but afterwards I was like whoa like I see the human you meeting the other human people and it's like beautiful and it was this thing that was just to your point romantic and i loved it are you talking about did you help mm-hmm. you, you volunteered with yeah. it? i that's volunteered like, at that's the incredible. restoration i think you told me project. that and i completely forgot yeah well let's get into it because yeah. i i want to know more about the restoration project yeah, and how what why when did you start it how did you have the first concept for it you know a to b like yeah. this is the idea this is like we're doing it um yeah so i've been serving in wilmington for over five years um i started serving at a shelter down there and um while i was serving down there that's when um i was also experiencing what i was going through um and it didn't happen while i was like serving and make it happen it just came out of the blue like literally one morning i woke up and i couldn't smile at myself anymore Mm -hmm. And then I, I was really depressed. Like you guys only see this, right? So you don't see where I where I came from. Um, but it was almost stoic. Like I didn't smile. I didn't I didn't have much. Um, but I kept serving down in Wilmington because I knew that brought me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I couldn't express it, I just I didn't want to give up on people. Um, and then there was a, a transition point where it went from you know, me going down there and people getting to know who I was because like you said, vulnerability, right? Um, Something that people don't realize a lot about people on the street is they're one of the most vulnerable 
population of people, not because of their situation, but because of their heart. Um, but society and media doesn't show that. Uh, and so there was a time I went down there and one of my brothers, I call him brother and sister because they're my family, um, said something that changed my perspective. And he came up to me and said, Kevin, I understand and, and I've been watching and like, you just don't seem like yourself. And they know me as like joyful, over the top, like quote unquote, the sock guy. You know, I, I had a lot of different titles, you know, if they couldn't remember my name. And he just said, what do you need? And that just struck, you know, because it wasn't about judging me. It wasn't about fixing me. It wasn't about changing me. It was about saying, I'm available as your brother. What do you need? And that was a game changer. I know that sounds so simple, but at that time in my life, everything was about, have you done this? Have you tried this? Have you read this? Have you talked to this person? Have you, have you, have you? And I just needed, I'm available. And so um, I encourage people all the time, like if you're going through something and you're, you're the friend and you're, you're coming to the side of a friend, don't fix it, don't change it. That's not up to you, you know, be available. And just even asking like, hey, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Because they'll tell you, right? Um, sometimes as simple as just saying, just you listening is what I needed. You know, just you being available for me to, to vent is what I needed. Um, and I think we don't even do that with our friends. So here's a population of people who aren't seen as anything other than trash and garbage and less than and outcasts. And they were the ones who came along and were loving me so hard during that time that um, I said, hey, when, when I get out of this, and I knew I would, like I knew God had a plan. And I said, I'm going to provide a place for you to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing to be available for me. Thank you for not judging me. Thank you for accepting me into your group. Thank you for just being who you are. Mm -hmm. And so that was 2017, 2019. I was healed. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, I haven't had an anxious thought, a depressed moment, or a thought of taking my own life. So not to say, um, you know, that... Uh, because I don't want that to sound like if you don't believe it's not going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. I just think God used it for a bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and so for people who are dealing with it, you know, my heart goes out to you. Um, and know that just surround yourself with good community. Mm -hmm. um, who isn't going to judge you or remind you that, you're, that you have a problem because it's not. It's mm -hmm. okay not to be okay. Yeah. Um, and there's blessing and there's burden, right? The blessing is it's preparing you for what's next. The burden is it's really hard. Um, and so don't just uh, allow yourself to think you're the only person mm -hmm. because there's so many of us that go through it. But I guarantee there is a plan and a purpose for it, as hard as it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so what started out as just volunteering at a shelter um, has now turned into pursuing a day center. Uh, so we started out as um, the nonprofit started, goodness, Applied for the, let's see, applied for the nonprofit like a year and a half ago. <laughs> um, but we started just showing up to that same area and down in Wilmington and just did like one table and like two volunteers and just said, hey, I want to keep giving back to this community. Um, pandemic hit, right? And so I was still serving during the pandemic. I'd go and actually um, 
because of my personal training background, I would go into their shelter and I would ask if anybody needed a massage or stretching in the day room. And then I, you know, I'd ask them like, Hey, you know, what do you, what's been going on? I know this is really hard. How can I be here for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about relieving tension in the body that makes people feel more confident and more comfortable. And so mm-hmm. I just kept loving it on them. And then, um, you know, with the pandemic, it was hard. And I know that there wasn't a lot of people that were taking care of them. And so mm-hmm. I always knew, you know, five years ago, like it was a it was a seed that was already planted. Like, hey, you already have a love for this. You love this community of people. Um, and then I went through what I went through. And I was like, man, this was just a reminder that there's a need and it needs to be fulfilled. And nobody's really doing anything. So we we did pop-ups right started out as like two tables three volunteers it's now nine months later we served over 100 people uh two weeks ago and we had probably 40 volunteers and nine tables and pop-up tents and a barber and two different grills for pancakes and sausage and eggs and it was just it's not about numbers i don't want people to think like okay great you have a bunch of people it's about there's a need we have over 100 people in Wilmington that needed something right Mm -hmm. and so if we want people to get better we got to give them opportunity to get better Mm -hmm. and the only way we're going to do that is if we provide more resources for them to get better so can you talk a little bit about that because I think the way that you approach serving this community is a little more like different than your average shelter that is available right (laughs) well i want to highlight one thing that you said that you know during the pandemic you offered um massages and stretching right which involved physical touch and i just want to say like what an amazing connection that is you know especially for a community that has been outcasted by Mm -hmm. society Mm -hmm. that will not really want to talk to them let alone you know touch people right Right. and when you're alone on the street how much physical touch do you really Mm -hmm. get you know you've been on your own for so long so i just want to say that had to have provided a really healing quality and to your question jess you were saying that it seems like it's different, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is different. And I think that difference is like a very humanizing, um, you're going about it in a humanizing way. You are seeing these people for people and really treating them like our brothers and sisters. Yeah. I I appreciate that. Um, I, I think for us, the importance was not grabbing someone's hand and saying, I know what's better than you do but linking arms and saying, let's go at your pace, right? So we're not, we don't have a checklist that somebody needs to meet in order to be served and loved and given to. We don't wait for somebody to get cleaned up before. Hallelujah, <laughs> this is amazing. We don't have a, we see them as the way that God sees them, right? Blemish free, no, soul, no soul. pain, you know, all the things that we all go through, like grace has been given right and so it's not up to us to point the finger and say well until you get cleaned up then when you get grace until you get better then you get grace it's like check yourself in the mirror every morning Mm -hmm. you don't deserve the grace you're given Mm -hmm. so why are we taking it away from people on the street Mm -hmm. right so um when you link arm in arm you're saying if you fall i'll fall with you if you want to stride i'll stride with you the biggest thing i think people don't realize is 
we have a support system, right? All of us have at least one person in our life who's a support system, our cheerleader, the one that's going to say, hey, don't give up. You know, you got this. Now imagine somebody who's on the street going through a pandemic, has no one, looks over their shoulder and says, there's nobody here for me. So even if that is all we are for people on the street, is that cheerleading system that says, you've got this, and if you fall, we'll pick you up. We're going to show up every time Mm -hmm. because I think it's so important that even on their worst or best day, we believe in them more than they do. And I think that's huge. Can you talk a little bit about the growth from one table, two volunteers (laughs) to 40 volunteers and a barber, Mm -hmm. nine tables? I mean, what was your I mean, when you first popped up, I mean, did you imagine having all of those things? Um, all of the resources or was it just like I'm just going to show up and see what I can do and then it just grew from there that's a good question Um, so I'm the type of person that if I want change I'm going to be the change I want to see right and so I don't wait for you to come on board Um, I think we have too many people who are hiding behind computers saying they're doing a lot of good and I haven't seen their feet or hands put to anything so um, I knew that we could do something beautiful in that community and it was more about being a presence and not being about growing huge numbers right Mm -hmm. so when we serve we're we're serving a population of people who if we build a consistency and this is everything that word is so important with people who are on the street if you are consistently showing up for people on the street you will not believe the opportunity and the friendships you get to build Mm -hmm. But don't expect that one time you do that one thing a year to check the box and think that you've made an impact. Mm -hmm. You have for the day, Mm -hmm. right? So when you're out serving, there's a level at which you're saying, I see you as a human, right? So I even tell my volunteers, the first thing you always say is, hi, my name is, what is yours, right? Like we just made you a person. Mm -hmm. And then that way, it's not only saying I see you, but I'm no different than you, right? Mm -hmm. So my circumstance, yes, different. Us as humans, totally the same. And so I think it was really important for us just to say, hey, let's just keep showing up and let's see what happens, right? It wasn't a, a plan of like, let's grow this to all these big numbers and all these things. It was like, hey, what other resources can we offer that we have access to? Um, hygiene right people need hygiene so let's provide hygiene Um, and then I noticed that I noticed that people were starting to see our website more and then we put an Amazon wish list link on there and then it became hey if you want to help this is a great first step in serving is volunteering just something right and so each every two weeks so we served on the first and the third saturday of every month rain or shine it did not matter because when you say you're gonna be there and you were there the level of trust and the level of respect that you get from people is incredible so now let me fast forward you a little bit now we're in probably month four when we show up to set up and let me tell you that the setup is it's a lot different now it went from one truck to three trucks but when we set up the community is already there in line because they know what's going to happen right and it's not so much that we're bringing stuff we're bringing awareness of like we see you and we love you stuff is great don't get me wrong but time is everything 
like people show up and say, I, I have time and I want to give that to you. Mm-hmm. But what we started to notice was the, the community would be there, not just because they wanted to get mine, but they actually helped us set up. Mm-hmm. That was incredible. So my buddy and I, um, we would get there early and we'd be the ones to set up and it was a lot. And all of a sudden we'd see guys and, and girls come and say, hey, how can we help? Like, what's better than saying, I see the value of what you guys are doing and I want to be a part of it, mm-hmm. right? So now giving other people an opportunity to be a part of something, giving back to their own brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I was I was like, that's it. Like, we made it. You know, it wasn't about the building at that point. It was just like, the community gets it. Yeah. And, you know, the way that they've been there for us and the way that they've loved on us. I mean, we think we're there to serve, right? Like, that's... No. The love you get back is really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way that they've, you know, helped me, the way that they've blessed other people in our group. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just been beautiful. So That's like, amazing. The, the range of um, services and the experience that is available, like that's the part that I think it is. It's to your point, it's not the stuff is great, but it's really the experience. And from my, when I was there, and you can share a little bit more about it, yeah. Um, is that you have them well first of all you have them like go and you're like wait till the start time (laughs) (laughs) that is always like the wait for the start time and then they get a personal shopper like they get somebody so can you take it from there I was gonna say can somebody describe like the layout now Jess has given me like a a little bit of a description you know about some of the things that are available but if you could describe like I'm showing up I don't know what this is what does it look like paint me a picture yeah so Mm -hmm. you show up and let's say it's all been set up already, right? So if you're somebody on the street, you're coming across just what looks like a whole corner is just taken over and it's just full of smiling faces and a lot of different essential items. Um, And so when you first get there, you start and you either got a backpack or a gym bag. Now, all of the stuff that we give for the most part is brand new. Um, the reason it's brand new is because we want to remind people that you're worthy of brand new things. We don't give you our less thans. We don't give you our leftovers. We don't give you our trash. We don't give you garbage. That's not the way we perceive you. And I'll continue, but I think it's really important to understand that when you give to any donation in any organization, ask yourself if it's clothes, would I give this to my best friend? If you wouldn't, please don't give it to them, right? Because the way that we give things is the way you perceive people so if i give you a ripped shirt i'm now saying this is the way i see you Mm -hmm. i see you broken i see you torn i see you garbage right so we always say we think you and you do deserve brand new Mm -hmm. so you'd get your backpack and maybe a water right there um next table would be some type of hygiene kit um whether that's for women or men we had it very specific uh, again, for women, if you are doing hygiene kits, please do not do tampons. Um, they can actually get infections. So we ask that you do women's pads. Uh, and then they would have a women's table. There'd be two women's tables. There'd be two men's tables. There'd be beanies, gloves, sweatshirts, coats, pants, leggings, uh, underwear, sports bras. Dresses. Uh, dresses, shoes. Yeah. yeah. Then we'd have an area for just jackets. Uh, we'd have a socks. Um, then we'd have shoes and then you would go and get towards breakfast, which would be pancakes and eggs and juice and 
Then you would, in the corner would be somebody who was cutting hair. Um, we added holistic doctors. Uh, we have free phones and tablets that were given out. Um, There's we, a dressing room area Yeah, too. we had dressing rooms that were portable that they could go in and um, have privacy. So if our people came and they're like, Kevin, I actually don't have any underwear. I'm not wearing a bra. But great, go into the dressing room so you feel safe. Um, are there portable showers? No. Not yet. Okay. So that's the idea of the day center. Yeah. Uh, the day center would have at least two showers, mm-hmm. a business center, a library, storage lockers, uh, a place where they can go just for them that any roadblock that they said they have in their way, we would provide. Um, you just said idea of the day center. So it's an idea still? In process. Okay. So it's happening. It's in progress right now. Meaning like funding is, is where we're at. Okay. Got yeah. it. Um, and any idea of where this location would be? Yeah. It'll be in Wilmington. Very nice. Yeah. Because it's that community of people. Wilmington actually has one of the highest levels of, uh, people say homelessness. I say unhoused. Mm-hmm. Um, when we say homelessness, we're putting a title. Mm-hmm. Um, unhoused is a, is a situation. Homelessness is more of like where they're at. Yeah. And so I use the word unhoused, um, just because that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to homeless. Homeless feels more like a permanent title mm-hmm. yeah. and a category. Whereas yeah. unhoused means like, this is my current situation right. and it's not forever. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you mention hurdles that whatever mm-hmm. hurdles they experience? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. We can talk a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> we talk a lot about that. So we're going to continue our second hour. This is going to be the second hour <laughs> of the podcast. Yeah. So hurdles, um, let's just talk about the things that most people think of when they think of somebody on the street. Mm-hmm. Number one, what do you think? What's the number one thing people think when they see someone on the street? I think people, this is a stereotype that I'm, I'm yeah, thinking no, is like lazy, yeah. get a job, you know, stop drinking, abuse, stop, substance yeah. abuse, that's you know, well, you're doing there. drugs, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Okay. There's all these connotations with like, this is your own fault and this is why you're here. Yep. And those are, and those are all very truthful from perspective, but very uh, untruthful from one-on-one connection. Yeah, it's completely out of context, yeah. I think. So uh, a good friend of mine, Gio, who is a huge advocate in Long Beach for um, Unhoused, brought it to me in this way, and it was beautiful, and it was like such a great visual. So imagine we take all the homes and we make them all glass. Okay, so do you think we see addiction? Do you think we see mental issues? Do you think we see loss? Do you think we see people that are having job issues, family issues, uh, financial issues? Okay, so it's no different than somebody on the street, mm-hmm. right? The biggest difference is a door. So they get to close the door and keep all their issues behind the door because they have the financial means to do so, right? Someone on the street, you're, you're judging exactly what you see. They don't have a door. That's the only difference. So if we thought about that the ones behind the door could actually be the solution instead of the problem, it would look really different. And I don't mean problem as it's your fault that you have financial means and that you're able and you worked hard, right? What I'm saying is you have opportunity now to help those that you're pointing the finger at because you have the resources, you have the financial means. Now, do you have a willingness? 
that's where it starts. If you have a willingness, that's it. That's all you need, right? So if you're upset because you see people in your neighborhood on the street, why don't you go have a conversation without yelling, without being upset, without calling the cops, right? There are times, yes, when you feel uh, unsafe. Not everyone on the street has mental issues. Not everyone on the street is an alcoholic. Not everyone on the street is crazy. There's 27% of people, the number could be different now, but 27% have mental issues. Mm -hmm. 27. That is a big number of other people who don't, mm -hmm. right? So we have, and again, this is from Geo. I don't want to say it's my own words, but there's highlighters. And the way the highlighters work are the ones that you know have something deeper going on. They're the ones walking across the street at a red light screaming. But what we're doing in society is we're now honking at them, making it worse. We're now yelling at them, making it worse. We're now making the situation bigger than it needs to be. And then the cops get called and then it gets worse, right? So it just starts again with willingness. Are you willing to look at the person and say, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my aunt, that could be my uncle, my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad, my whatever, mm -hmm. and really stop and go, that person has a story and I don't know it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it is not up to me to judge it. Mm -hmm. So the first step is just, if you wanna know the story, go get to know the person. Mm -hmm. Reserve the judgment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to say, and it, this has to do with like glass houses and that we're all going through similar struggles or the same struggles, um, is I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of privilege out there. And I think people forget that, you know, there's people who have the privilege of having family with money to pay or to compensate, you know, for those type of issues or, um, downfalls, you know what I mean? There's a lot of privilege out there whereas people can shut I mean it costs a lot of money mm -hmm. to get the resources you need yeah. as somebody who's suffering from addiction a mental health um, even um, how he any health issue mm -hmm. because I think health is probably the number one thing that is bringing people into poverty is like a health issue can cost you so much and that has to do with insurance and that's a whole nother thing but um, you know I think that to highlight the fact that somebody could have the same issues as you and just mm -hmm. not have the a dad or a mom who can yeah. who can provide right yeah and i think not just the the, the provision but also the support yes. right so i have a really good friend who um you know after getting to know him i asked him hey straight up like what brought you out on the street and he said i lost my wife like, we don't realize how hard loss is yeah. for people, yeah. right? Like, and we don't know until we, we, we get to know the person and ask. But not everybody handles loss well, especially those who've been married for a really long time. And they don't have that support system. And, you know, and then they have, um, you know, with him, there was the kids were making it harder on him because they came to the house the next day after she passed and was like, I want all her stuff. And he's like, you weren't even at the hospital when she was in the bed dying. And now you want, and so he just said, I'm out. And then he ended up out on the street. And so we just, we're, we're not giving people the opportunity to tell their story, yeah. right? Like we all have a story. All three of us have different stories. Mm -hmm. And until people understand our story, they, they don't really get us. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really get them until we get to know them. And the only way to get them is to show up for them. Mm -hmm. um, 
from the people that you've known, you've met, what are some of the other, like, what has been one of the, the stories that you've heard, if you can share? Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll give you both sides. I'll give you, um, there's been, oh goodness, a good friend of mine, um, he was almost stabbed to death by his girlfriend. Um, he lost his mom. He, you know, lost his sister. He, his sister was murdered while he was in the hospital and he felt like it was his fault. And so he went to the street because he didn't know any better. He lost his son. You, you know, there's, there's so much that it's lost, right? Let me keep saying that word loss. Um, and now, you know, it's a beautiful story. He, he got himself cleaned up. He's working. He's, you know, he's, it's incredible, right? But you, if you, if you keep showing up for people and if you keep reminding them that when you fall, I'm still here, you know, it's so important because I remember him calling me and he said, Kevin, you're going to be upset. And I'm like, you're calling me. I'm not upset. I'm proud of you for calling me to tell me. He was like, I checked myself into rehab. He said it was either death or rehab and I chose rehab and I said, bro, I couldn't be even more proud of you, right? So if I get to be that phone call because I decided to show up, it's so worth it, right? Like our showing up could be the difference between somebody taking their life or making the most out of their life. And I know it sounds serious, but it really is, right? So even when you walk by somebody and you just say, hey, how are you doing today? That changes everything for somebody because you've literally just said, I see you and you have worth, Mm -hmm. but we're, we're so afraid of what we've been told about people on the street, or maybe we've had that one bad experience Mm -hmm. that now we put them in a box and said, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk to that crazy person. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just breaks my heart that we're missing out on an opportunity to bring our gifts and talents to people and really like bless them in, in, in abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so one thing that comes to mind is like in interactions and such, like speaking with um, the people that are unhoused, like I also think it's, it, it may take patience as well. And like, to your point, commitment, because how often is our society and just in general every day their experiences there's one door being closed after the other so if you come and you say hey i'm here and i'm allowing space for you to share your story it may not easily come because how often has that door been closed um and that's something that just like i think about like it would take more than just like one instance you know and don't anticipate or expect it to be absolutely oh right away this is a happy yeah so that's 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 perfect that you said that because real service is without expectation. That's what I was going to say. It's um, it's like what you just said really highlighted the fact that it's really not about the end goal. It's literally just about showing up. It is That is the job. It's not your job to, you know, fix everything for mm-hmm. these people. Mm-hmm. It is just your job to show up mm-hmm. and to be there and mm-hmm. to be available to them for when they're ready, exactly. when they're ready to exactly. step up, when they're ready to make a change, mm-hmm. when their self-esteem has built up and their confidence and they feel like and they trust. have a support. Yeah. yeah. And the guy that, you know, there's another guy who took uh, four months to even say hi to me. And I just kept showing up in the alley. And this was before even our serving and everything. And I was down at the shelter. And I just said, hey, how are you? Every time I showed up, nothing. And finally, he, he literally was like, you know, he's like, what do you want? I said, I just want to know what your name is. 
And now we're really, really good friends, mm-hmm. you know, but it took four months. Yeah. And so again, if, if the expectation is we want something from it, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. But if you're, you're just there because you generally want to be there and you, you have the time, um, just get ready for a really fun ride. Can you, <laughs> can you outline how hard it is for somebody who has lost everything mm-hmm. and it, is now has now resorted to living on the street how hard it is just to get i mean a job let alone mm, any yeah, type of housing preach. your basic needs yeah so that's a good one um first of all when we see people that look kind of out of it it's because they've been awake for probably days and why i say that is because their head is on a swivel 24 7 is this person gonna take stuff is this person trying to hurt me is this person like Right. So even the way we approach people on the street looks different. Um, You know, I always think about it like I need to be invited into their space before I can have that conversation. Right. So if I see somebody from a distance, I'm going to walk up and say, hey, my name's Kevin. What's yours? And they may say, hey, I'm I'm Tom. Oh, Tom, it's so nice to meet you. Is it okay if I come talk with you? Yes. I get to walk over that threshold to now say I'm in his home. Right. So when we approach people on the street, that is their home that's not ours Mm -hmm. so you don't just let somebody roll up in your house and sit on your couch and you've never met them it's the same way with people we got to treat them the same way we got to be respectful of their space Um, we'll get into more detail on the things you shouldn't do for people on the street and there's a list but back to what you're saying if you don't have a physical address you cannot apply for a job Mm -hmm. a physical address you cannot apply for a job. So everyone that says, just go get a job, it is not that easy. So if they're not in a shelter, if they're not in interim housing, if they're not in anywhere where they can have a physical address, they will never get a job. Mm-hmm. Now, if they have their physical address, but have a background in criminal or anything, right? Like they say you can't judge someone, but they will come up with other ideas why they shouldn't work there. And so again, we go back to this idea of like, you know, prejudice. Mm. So if somebody says, Kevin, I, I, I want to get better. Awesome, man. First thing we have to do is we got to figure out how to get you a physical address. Mm. And so again, going back to the day center, they can actually use that as a physical address. They'll be able to get their mail there. They can get packages there. They can use that as their startup to get um, a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as getting into housing, that's a whole nother beast because you have to get a refer, uh, referral to go to like an interim housing. So I actually get to do that part of it too. Um, now that I work for Harbor Interfaith. Uh, so I get to see both sides. I get to see the person who's been in the alley and now I get to see how that can turn into getting a referral and how that can turn into giving somebody their own home. And it's a process, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy as like get yourself cleaned up and just get better. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> it's not that easy, right? Yeah. Oh, anyone, I feel like anyone who struggles with like depression or anything, you know, like even my husband would say, you just got to get happy, you know? And I was like, that's not that easy. <laughs> right, right. And, and mm-hmm. on the street, it's like you have so many other things going against you. So now you have your tent right and they do sweeps on a regular basis so you can only have a certain amount of stuff in your area and whatever else they just 
get rid of. And so the reason we see the encampments with all this stuff is because in their mind, that is theirs. And mm-hmm. so they're going to collect as much as they can because they know at one point it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the stuff that they're collecting is trash that we're giving them. And so, um, you know, to have a place where they can go to is also a safe haven for knowing that if they have personal belongings, they can put it in a storage locker and not worry about it getting taken. So then they could go apply for a job because most people don't leave their tents during the day because they're terrified that their stuff's going to get stolen. So now imagine being locked in your tent all day and not going anywhere. Maybe you have a family friend you want to go see. They're going to have to come to them because they know that their stuff's going to get taken. That's just kind of the, the beast that's out there is people are always looking like, what else can I get? So if we have a place where it's like, hey, we'll, we'll put all your personal belongings in the storage. If you have a suitcase with all your stuff, we'll put it in a secured room for you. We'll provide you with a bus pass if that's what you need, or we'll even drive you to the job interview ourselves. Like anything that somebody says, Kevin, but this, no, we'll provide it. Right. And I just don't think there is anything like that out there right now. Yeah. I wouldn't know exactly because I know I just know that there's in order to be in a shelter you have to like meet so many requirements mm-hmm. you know um, we're constantly putting out like you said earlier this list of mm-hmm. things that they have to do and be before we can even make an effort to mm-hmm. help them mm-hmm. and I love that this organization is really a come as you are mm-hmm. you're fine the way you are mm-hmm. we'll meet you where you are yeah, and I think one of the things we need to hit real quick um, is people always say, like, you know, drugs, right? Like, let's just be real. They don't wake up and go, I want to live on the street and do drugs. Once they take that first drug, they are done. Mm-hmm. And then they become on the street. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure people know that very clearly that yeah. nobody says, my goal is to become on the street doing drugs. Right. Drugs are so extreme that I've talked to people who've never done them before and after they did them they lost their house they lost their spouse they lost their kids to it and now they're on the street Mm -hmm. so I um I think there needs to be a lot more emphasis on um the power of addiction and any addiction yeah yeah, any addiction absolutely um whether it be drugs or alcohol yeah Um, gambling is also another big one yeah we've had a lot of people who've lost everything to gambling yeah, and, and to think that anybody really is, isn't safe from these things. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, something that also strikes me is like there's this once you're on the street, there is this basic need of just survival. Like you're saying, like you have possession. It's limited. You don't know when or if it will get taken and how. Mm-hmm. And having to constantly be in that survival mode mentally, physically, always just on alert is something that, I mean, I can see that that just like doesn't allow room for addressing anything else right. or other things. It becomes your sole um, focus in a way, right? And you, so you can't grow when you're surviving. You can't do anything when you're surviving. Even physiologically, you know, you're just dripping cortisone in your body at all times, which prevents you from really preventing health disease, you know, any health issues, like your immune system shuts oh. down really. Um, so I have, I have like a, a two-parter question and then Jess has a great question that we always end on um okay so something I like to ask everybody is 
what what are first what are some concerns that you have about the San Pedro community and you can extend that to the harbor community if you want just okay. harbor um, and then what are some things that excite you about the community yeah um, I mean I always talk about good first right so things that excite me is just the way that it feels like things are growing you know with the the rehab of like where the the pier is and uh, it seems like more businesses are coming in um i think there's there's opportunity for a flourishing of people to um see the joy of san pedro right um i think the things that worry me is people have kind of given up on people on the street and, and, yeah. and I think it's either because of their own interactions or how society is, is put them in a box. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that there's, you know, there's room for um, both things, like being joyful in the giving back. Mm-hmm. My question is usually um, describe your perfect or ideal San Pedro day mm-hmm. or experience that you may have had. Okay. But I'll extend this to also be like, describe your perfect day, just in general. What does that look like? And maybe not perfect in the perfect sense, but just ideal brings you joy. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but honestly, like serving with my wife. How many people have like come in and aligned? You know, like I've, I mean, I've noticed so... Um, Miller Butler was the way of my mm-hmm. end, right? Mm-hmm. But under pressure nutrition. Oh, yes. huge, huge. Yeah, can we do some shout outs? Yeah, yeah. huge shout outs under pressure nutrition. Yeah. Like, if you guys want healthy choices, you know, somebody who who's lactose free, I can go get a protein shake. I can go get a SAE bowl. I can go get something delicious and healthy. But bigger than that, like their family, it's family owned. They're here in Pedro on first. And they are incredible. They give us uh, a Gator, Gatorade size, um, I guess it's, what is it? A jug, like football jug, right? Full of one of their refreshers every single time we go out to provide. And then I just set up a coat drive and they allowed me to put a box there. So now, I mean, they're just on board with whatever we do. That's incredible. And so we're, we're so grateful for them. Yeah. And then we have a, a coffee company called um, Corridor Flow, Flow mm-hmm. and they're in Lomita. Oh, yeah, I know Corridor Flow. Yeah. And they provide our coffee every single time. Wow. So uh, my website's uh, done free. I had somebody reach out and actually do my website for free. So This is amazing. It's been incredible. I do feel like there's another... There's something in the in the future for us to do. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, for sure. I have like yes. a thousand ideas. I'm trying to like, tell, <laughs> awesome. um, How can people find the restoration project? Yeah, so the website's therestorationproject.org. You can find us on Instagram at the restoration the restoration project ca, um, and then you can. I mean, those are the the main two, mm-hmm. and then all our contact information is on there. Okay, we'll have everything linked in the show notes, and so people will easily be able to just scroll down and find you and get in touch if they need to. Um, this has been an incredible interview, and I mean, I've truly enjoyed it, and it's, I think, going to enrich the community to hear what you have to say. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's all for our episode. Follow us for more on Instagram at Podcast. Huge thanks to Rock Ashfields at Palm Realty Boutique for providing us such a gorgeous recording space. 
And thank you to all of our amazing Patreon supporters. Leave us a review and share this episode with your friends, neighbors, and coworkers. See you next week. Bye.